side. So I will have to say that standing where I was, I'm a little on the cold side. Are you guys okay? You all right? Okay. All right. I just, I want you to be able to pay attention to me without thinking about, you know, the weather, okay, or about how cold you are. So, all right. Um, Let's see. Hey, I want to, before we jump into it today, to say this. Man, we got a cause for celebration here. Uh, yesterday, we had a wonderful wedding here. And uh, lo and behold, the couple is here today. So Kevin and Tess, stand. Stand up. It was a wonderful day, and we're certainly grateful for Kevin and Tess, um, part of our church family. So, we are in a series right now called simply one word, conversation. And we're looking at the four basic conversations we have in life. The conversation we have with God, the conversation we have with ourself, the conversation we have with each other, and then the conversation that we as Christ followers are called to have with our world. Now, just a quick review. In week number one, just two or three weeks ago, we talked about the fact that God is a conversational God. He's a God of words. He's a God of communication. And we humans are conversational people, each of us speaking an average of 16,000 words a day because we are made in God's image. We are conversational because God made us that way. We're like him, so that we could communicate with him. That was his primary purpose in making us this way. But we also discussed how our first parents broke the conversation with God so that God's voice has been absent from our lives and from human history with obvious, devastating results. Now, last week, we discussed the second conversation that we have, the one we have with ourself the one we have within ourself. And Noam Shomsky, who is probably the world's top language expert, he's a professor of linguistics and philosophy, he says that 99% of our conversation is the one that we have inside ourself with ourself. And that every day we have between 50 and 70,000 thoughts that course through our minds. And we discussed last week that since we have this broken conversation with God, our self-talk has become extremely, at least in large part, very self-destructive a lot of the time. Because our minds are just like records with all kinds of destructive recordings that play over and over and over again in our minds. And that really sets us up for the topic we have today. That is the conversation we have with others. Because that self-talk that goes on side of us, if it's, if it's destructive, then that's simply going to spill out into our, our conversation, being very destructive at least a good part of the time. And the book of James, in fact, our words become the major tool of abuse between people. Uh, the book of James says it like this. Let me read the book of James. In the book of James, James is very blunt. This is what he says in chapter 3, verse number 5. He says, Likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, 
but it makes great boasts. Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. The tongue also is a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole person, sets the whole course of his life on fire, and the tongue itself is set on fire by hell. So James is telling us that in our world, a lot of our conversation is more akin or more similar to the kind of conversation that goes on among the demons of hell than the godlike kind of conversation that God created us for. And that's not a very flattering picture, is it? I don't think it is. Let's break down again a little bit more what James is saying. James is saying that all human beings have become capable of abusive words. Let's go a step further than that. James is saying that all human beings have spoken abusive words, that not a one of us is innocent of this. Evil has flowed through all of our lips, and it has happened many, many times in all of our lives. All of us have set some fires that really burnt other people, burnt them emotionally, burnt them down to their core, burnt them down to their hearts. James refers to a list of animals here. And I sort of built on his list a little bit uh, because we know that animals have sounds, or at least most of them. Dogs bark and cats meow and birds sing and reptiles hiss. Some of these are huge and wild animals. But the sounds they make, they don't hurt anybody. The sounds don't hurt anybody. But you know when it comes to human beings, the sounds that we make with our tongues, James says they're full of deadly poison. And then James says that all of these animals can be tamed. Even, and I'm going to paraphrase a little bit more, uh, even Shamu the killer whale can be tamed. But no one can tame the human tongue. James is saying that there's less danger getting hurt in the tank at SeaWorld with Shamu than in many human conversations. I remember years ago being at the Pittsburgh Zoo. We were in the reptile area, and I think I've shared this in a message or two before, but it left an impression on me. We walked into the reptile, and it was in a long corridor with, you know, uh, windows uh, where you could stop and look at the various reptiles along the way. But way down at the end, it had this sign, the world's most poisonous. Poisonous creature, poisonous animal. And I thought to myself, oh, they must be saving the coral snake for the last display. Because I think the coral snake, from what I've heard, is the deadliest poisonous snake on the planet. Anyway, made our way down to the end of the hall, looked inside the display area, and it was a mirror. (laughs) So I thought, man, there's a sermon illustration right there. But I saw myself there. Uh, But that's what James, that's what he's saying here. And so if that's true, then it stands to reason that all human beings have experienced wounds from the words of others. And there are no exceptions to this. All of us have felt the sting. And I'm sure that there's some in this room this morning that have experienced extreme 
verbal abuse. The shattering kind that makes you feel like you are always the guilty one. You're the crazy one. You're the cause of the problem. And, and a verbal abuse that kind of isolates you from other people, tries to break you down, shame you, control you, that keeps you walking on needles, never knowing what mood or what stream of words you're going to meet from that person that you live with or that person that you work with. There's an organization called Safe Horizon that states that more than 60% of this kind of abuse happens at home between the hours of 6 p.m. and 6 a.m. And according to the United States Department of Housing and Urban Development, abuse at home is the third leading cause of homelessness in the United States. And in New York City, one-third of those who are in family shelters are there due to domestic abuse. So with God out of the conversation, the first and most frequent place where words hurt one another is in the very place that God originally designed to be the safest and most affirming of all places in the world, the home, the family. Now look what happened in Adam and Eve's home after the conversation with God was broken. It wasn't too long before Cain got into it with Abel. And it went from verbal abuse to emotional abuse, and finally it went to the extreme physical abuse where Cain killed his brother Abel. And so this is a serious thing. But you know, it doesn't stop there. James goes one step further. And you know what? I find this next thing that James say, says, I find it extremely uncomfortable. Uh, I think he gets just a little bit too personal here. Uh, let me, let me read what he says. Well, I'm gonna, let, me be, let me build it up a little bit first. Okay. Remember, you know who James was, who wrote this book of James? He was the pastor of the very first church. He was the pastor of the great Jerusalem church, the first church of the Christian era. That was the church that all of the apostles attended. It was the church that the 120 who were present for the first outpouring of the Holy Spirit, they all attended that church along with the 500 who saw Jesus rise, uh, 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 rise from the dead and resurrected. Uh, and so James is very, very honest in this statement he's going to make. He doesn't use any spiritual cover-up for this problem that we have with our words. He doesn't hide it in any kind of holy spiritual language. This is what he says. He says that the toxicity of the human tongue even shows up among God's people, in God's house, in God's church, among Christ followers. Here's how he says it in verses 9 and 10. He says this, With the tongue we praise our Lord and Father, and with it we curse men, we curse people, who have been made in the image of God. Out of the same mouth, comes praise and cursing. And then he says, my brothers and my sisters, this should not be. Okay, uh, so let's break that down a little bit. 
Uh, James is referring to the song services they had in the Jerusalem church. And during the song service, they did, I'm sure, like we did. Uh, probably sang a different set of choruses. <laughs> they sang psalms. But they were all worshiping God and, and praising him and doing it sincerely and, and just filling the room with God's praises. And they, you know, we sing, holy, 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 Lord God Almighty. We sing, I surrender all, I surrender all. All to you, I surrender, I surrender all. And we do that in conversation toward God. But then James is saying shortly after the service or at home or at work, that very same tongue that we used in conversation with God ends up cursing people that we work with or people that we live with. Now, the word curse here does not mean to cuss out specifically, although it could include that. But the word curse here simply means to wish ill to somebody else. Um, But then James adds this little phrase that really catches my attention. To speak ill towards someone who is made, another person who is made in the image of God, made in the likeness of God, because that really brings into sharp clarity just what happens when we abuse somebody else with our words? What we're doing is we're adding to the scars. We're adding to the disfigurement. We're adding to the um, defacement of that other person who was made to bear the image of God. In fact, they do bear the image of God. Now, maybe that person that we spoke ill to and got angry with and spilled out some venomous words. Maybe that person was in the wrong. In fact, maybe they're in the wrong all the time. Maybe it's some ornery person in our people circles somewhere. But you know what? I don't care how ornery a human being is, that person is still made in the image of God. They may not be living out the image of God, but they're made in the image and likeness of God. And so James is saying here, that to lash out with abusive words and hurtful words and wounding words to any other human being, whoever that might be, is to do damage to the masterpiece of God, to do damage to the handcrafted work of God. Every human being is a handcrafted work of the Almighty God. So, we don't, I think sometimes we speak not realizing the depth of the damage that we can do with our words. And that's why King David prayed this prayer in Psalm 141, verse 3. He said, Set a guard over my mouth, Lord. Keep watch over the door of my lips. It's a great prayer. When God made us conversational beings. He gave us a great gift that comes with great power and with great responsibility. Proverbs 18.21 says it this way, the tongue has the power of life and death. And those who love to talk, those who love their tongue, will reap the consequences. So every, every word we speak 
it has consequences that move one of two directions, either to lift somebody up and enhance their life, encourage their life, or words that tear a person down and send them out on the pathway of death. That's the power of our tongue. Now, James makes this all sound pretty hopeless. Uh, He says it even happens among the people of God. And I think we all admit that, don't we? Uh, I think he's saying that we all need extensive speech therapy. (laughs) Actually, I think we all need to learn how to talk all over again. That's the human dilemma. But then he says, no one can tame the human tongue. So that sounds pretty hopeless. Well, there is hope. Uh, Because Jesus tackled this problem. It was his purpose in coming into the world. And Jesus, when he came, he put his finger on the problem. Because in Matthew 15, verse 18, he said this, the words that you speak come from your heart. That is what defiles you. And so Jesus died at the cross so that our hearts, from which our conversation comes, could be made new. And then Jesus told his followers that it was necessary for him to ascend to heaven. This was after his resurrection. It was necessary for him to to ascend to heaven to be with the Father so that the Holy Spirit could be sent and he would come and he would live inside our hearts. So when a person comes to faith in Jesus Christ, it is the Holy Spirit that God sends into the deepest place of that person's life, their heart, where their thoughts and their words are formed in order to restore our conversation, our conversation with God, our self-talk in our own conversation, and the conversation that we have with others. In other words, the Holy Spirit becomes our speech therapist. That's really his role in our life. He starts a redemptive heart-mouth therapy. That's what the Holy Spirit does. And Paul describes this therapy in Colossians chapter 3, verses 7 to 10. Let me read that for you. Colossians chapter 3, verses 7 to 10. Here we go. He's speaking to Christians here. He says, you used to walk in these ways. He's just listed some, some of the old ways that we used to live our lives by, some of the old values. But then he says, now you must rid yourselves of all of these things, things like anger, rage, malice, slander, filthy language from your lips. Don't lie to each other. Since you have taken off your old self with all of its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge, in knowledge, in the image of its creator. So let me, let me sort of spell that out. The Holy Spirit, when he comes into our life as a Christian, he goes down to that deep place in us where everything went wrong to begin with, with our talk. He goes to our hearts where polluted things 
like anger and rage and malice and lying? He goes there. And he teaches us how to speak in a brand new way. He teaches us how to speak in the same way that our creator speaks and uses words. How does he do that? By giving us the creator's heart. By forming in us God's own heart. So that the words that begin to flow from us line up with the the heart of God. He gives us a, a new self. A new identity that is no longer rooted in that old, corrupted, disconnected from God heart, but is now we are re-rooted in God's own heart. So he begins a whole process in helping us learn how to speak all over again and bring a brand new kind of conversation into our family, into our marriage, with our children, a brand new conversation we carry on at work, we carry on wherever we are. We're learning to speak like he speaks. So every Christ follower is a speech student of the Holy Spirit. Now, this doesn't happen overnight. It requires day-by-day cooperation in in at least four ways. I want to line those four ways, how we have to cooperate in in this learning of a new way to speak. Number one, and I think this is really important, Christ following speech students of the Holy Spirit must live every single day with a totally humble, ready-to-repent heart because it's guaranteed there will be misspoken and wounding words that are going to slip out of our mouths from time to time, and they're going to hurt someone around us. That happens with even the most serious and mature student of the Holy Spirit. We have to be fast to sincerely apologize to others. When the, when, when the, and we have to overcome that old tendency in us to minimize, to justify, to ignore. You know, if we hurt someone with our words... We need to say as quickly as we can and as sincerely as we can, you know, I am really sorry for that. Uh, I really want you, please forgive me for that. Now, you know where I practice this the most? This part of my therapy? (laughs) I practice it by far the most with Jill. (laughs) Uh, I, I, I find myself saying to Jill more frequently than I would like to, uh, and I'm sure more frequently than she would like me to. <laughs> Hun, oh, man, I'm sorry. I didn't mean that. I, um, so forgive me. And you forgive me, right, hon? Okay, <laughs> all right. <laughs> We're on good terms. I get lunch today. I'm, I'm happy about that. All right, we're good. Uh, but, you know, I, here's what I found, that the people we're closest to and most frequently with, they're going to be the people who know, who really know how spiritual we are, right? Uh, I, can be all, I can be real spiritual here this, this morning because I'm up here teaching and I'm the pastor and I can be real, real spiritual. And you know what? Uh, one, of these, one of the capabilities we have, one of the capabilities that we developed once our conversation with God was, was disconnected was we have this ability 
uh, to, we're really good at it, to put on a good talk show. <laughs> we have the ability to sound really, really spiritual. But you know in comic books, we have, you know, okay, our, you know in, in comic books, the symbol for the words we speak is this symbol we have up here. But the symbol we don't have up here is that one for what we're really thinking. <laughs> you know, and that's the one with the little circle, you know, the, yeah, the little circles that come down. Okay, Christian, you know, duplicity. We're really, really good at it. All human beings are. So the people that live closest to us, they're the ones that know how spiritual we really are. And, uh, but then it's the Holy Spirit who ultimately knows exactly how spiritual we are or are not. He's our teacher. So that's the first thing. We have to be, we have to be really quick at work, at home, wherever we are, to say, oh, man, I'm really sorry about that. And then when we say that, to learn from it and say, Lord, help me with this tongue of mine. Help me not to do this again. Uh, now, the second thing we have to cooperate with is uh, we have to cooperate with the Holy Spirit as he seeks to clean up the environment of our hearts. Now, our society puts a lot of value on cleaning up the environment, and that is rightly so. Getting rid of pollution. And when I was a kid, I remember that Lake Erie, back at that time, was the most polluted of all of our great lakes. Couldn't even swim. Beaches were closed. There was disease in the lake. The fish couldn't survive the lake. Why? Because sewage and garbage and chemical poisons we're just being dumped into it from all over the place. And now, we have a big part to play in what we dump into our minds and into our hearts. And this is what the Holy Spirit is talking about in this, another statement on speech therapy here from the Apostle Paul in Ephesians chapter 5. Uh, let me read that for you, Ephesians chapter 5. Uh, verses 3 and 4. This is what it says. But among you, there must not be even a hint of sexual immorality or of any kind of impurity or of greed because these things are improper for God's holy people. Nor should there be obscenity, foolish talk, coarse joking, which are out of place, but rather thanksgiving, gratitude, all those kinds of things. So, the Holy Spirit here is saying that you and I need to be careful about allowing any pollutants into our minds. Because if the Holy Spirit is inside working to clean up our minds, and we at the same time are admitting into our minds polluted stuff, well, Okay, we're working against each other here. Uh, and that's contradictory for a true Christ follower. So what this spells out, what this really means is that what, what we watch and what we read and the Internet sites we go to, what we listen to, all the, these are really important in our lives because what we are thinking in here is formed by what we admit into our hearts and minds, the material, the raw material that we work with in our thought life. 
But then that becomes our speech and our actions outside. These things all tie together. Now, a good example of this would be, and this was the first example that came to my mind, and there's many others, but this was the first example I had. It was a very warm summer's night in Jerusalem. King David, his army was out at war, but instead he decided to take a break. So he was out on his rooftop, just sitting in his lawn chair or walking around on the roof, and he saw a bit of live theater. Uh, a couple, three, four houses down, as he overlooked you know, the neighborhood, he saw a nude scene. Now, David, when he saw Bathsheba out there taking her shower, he had a few seconds in which to make a decision. He could have walked away. But instead, David self-talked himself straight into a sexual addiction just from a few minutes of an image burnt into his psyche, burnt into his male mind. And it changed his whole conversation for a good long time. And the consequences of his conversation. He hurt himself and he hurt a lot of other people. Now, you know the story. Eventually, Nathan the prophet came to David, confronted him, and then he called David back to accountability. And it's very good to know that David repented and he returned to the Lord. And God forgave him and, and he helped David put the pieces, the shattered pieces, he pick David up and get him back on the right track again. But there were a lot of consequences of that action in David's life that, that continued in hurtful ways in the lives of those around him. So uh, just to throw in a couple things here. You know, this whole issue of addiction. Man, we can get addicted to anything. Uh, not just to sexual addictions. There's all kinds of addictions out there uh, that we can become obsessed with. So we have to be so careful. What we feast on mentally. Uh, you know, I, I don't believe churches should be into putting out movie lists and book lists and stuff like that because then you get into legalism. Okay, so you're not, you're not going to get any kind of a list from me saying, oh, you can see this, but no, no, don't see this, or read this, but not this, or you know, I'm not going to do that at all. That would be legalism, and that's, that's, that, works against, that works against speech ther therapy here. But I think using the judgment that the Holy Spirit gives us in our hearts as we grow in him, we just come to realize that there are some things I probably shouldn't subject myself to, I better stay away from that. There's a place I better not hang out. I better not go there. Um, the most recent example of this, obviously, and I hesitate to bring it up because I'm not into monitoring on behalf of the people of God what they see or what they don't see. However, uh, since it's been all over Facebook, I will bring up uh, Fifty Shades of Grey, okay? Okay. Uh, 
I would say, I'm going to give you my own personal judgment on this. Uh, I would say that's probably not a healthy bit of information to stick in your brain. And things similar to that would probably be not, not a real wise move on the part of a person that's in the Holy Spirit speech therapy school here, okay? Um, because I read somewhere, you know, uh, what, we, what we see can't be unseen. And I know, I don't think David's alone in uh, the areas of sexuality especially. That, I mean, images can get burnt into the mind. And I'll tell you what, they're hard. They're very difficult to dislodge. So why allow them to get burnt, I guess, is what I'm saying, okay? Uh, it didn't lead David to any good fruit in his life, okay? <clears throat> I will say this, too, that if anyone, you know, anytime we do get addicted to things, though, uh, the Lord doesn't forsake us. The Lord is there. If, if a person's addicted to pornography, the Lord loves you. The Lord values you. He's there to help. He wants to help you pull, get free of that. He'll probably use other people that you have to be honest with, sit down with and become accountable to, to help you break that, that addiction or whatever other addiction it might happen to be. So, but it's best, I think, I think anyone who's addicted to anything would probably say somewhere along the path, you know what, it would, it would be better to d- deal, thing, deal with things preventatively than, than get you know, into this addiction and all the damage it does and then find God's grace. Why don't we find it preventatively instead of after the fact? Make sense? I think it does. You think so? <laughs> All right. I think it does. All right. <clears throat> Number three. Here's how we need to cooperate with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit calls us to cooperate as he teaches us to live in a harmony-seeking, encouraging, speaking, forgiving kind of way. And this is what Paul says in Ephesians chapter 4. He says this, uh, Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building other people up according to their needs, that it may benefit, that your words may benefit those who hear them. And this, I'll tell you what, this verse number 30 really grabs my attention. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, brawling, slander, along with every form of malice. And this is instead, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as Christ in God forgave you. Uh, And this is the special word to those of us that are in the Holy Spirit's school of speech therapy is that we can, we can cause the very heart of the Spirit of God to go into grief by our words. If those words are hurtful and wounding of other people, we bring grief to the Spirit of God. And that's, that reason, that's why we've got to live with these repentant, sensitive hearts that say, oh, God, forgive me, forgive me. And he does. He does. Now, um, I do think we need help. We need to help each other with, you know, with this 
therapy that we're in because it goes so deep in all of us. We really need to help each other. That's a good reason for small groups. That's a good reason that I have a circle of other people around me that we encourage each other. We keep growing in this Christian faith and this life, and we learn to speak encouragingly to one another as we practice it, as we do it with each other. And then finally, as, as, the, as the church family, our conversation with God, our conversation with ourselves, our conversation with each other has to be restored to health so that we can be that healthy voice for Jesus in conversation with our broken, desperate, hurting, wounded world. Because we have all been sent to share the message of Jesus with the people around us every day. We've been, we have been sent into our world, strategically placed as missionaries, wherever you are during Monday through Saturday, wherever you are, at home, at work, wherever you are, you, are, you have been strategically placed there to be one of the Lord's missionaries. And so as a missionary, we're there to invite other people into this conversation with God, to share the gospel, to show Christ's love, to be an influence that has consequence for Christ in the lives of other people around us, inviting them to church whenever that's appropriate, telling them, hey, I'll pray for you, letting, letting the light of Christ shine out of our lives. Uh, and, and then as a church, he's also called Calvary Church to partnership with 31 missionaries who are serving in 31 different people places in the world. And so the church, our church, from top to bottom, is a conversational family sent on a mission to make Jesus known in our world with words of grace and truth and to see other people coming into that conversation. And that's, what, and that's where we're going to go the next two weeks. We're going to talk about spreading the conversations, carrying the conversation out into our world. Pastor Spence mentioned that next week we have missionary Tim Savota, who's, who's, who lives in the Tenderloin District in San Francisco. He's planted himself right there in one of the most desperate, broken places of any city in the United States. He lives there with his wife, Carol. And I'll tell you what, they are doing things that are transforming not just people spiritually, but they're transforming the community. They're helping people get, come to know Christ and then get jobs. They're, they're, they're doing all kinds of sex trafficking, everything. And we are partners with them. Everything they do, every person they touch... You are touching because we're supporting them there. And then Sunday night, we have Andrew Lundgren, who's right up here at Northwestern University, sharing the conversation of Jesus with students. Following week, Greg Mundus, who oversees 2,000-plus missionaries across the planet, is going to be here to tell us what God is doing. Uh, so the conversation we have with the world is where we're going the next couple weeks. Now, so here's my closing word. Fellow speech therapy students, <laughs> your homework this week is to spend time reading and then reflecting, and you might want to write this down, on the third chapter of Colossians. Paul wrote this letter to the Christians in the city of Colossae, and then chapter 3, verses 1 to 17, he talks so eloquently and so deeply about being students who are learning how to talk all over again in a way that reflects Christ. So, read that, pray over it, 
journal on it and just absorb it into your heart. And I believe God's going to help us keep advancing through this school of, uh, of speech therapy. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you today for your word. Lord, we're so grateful that you made us into such marvelous human beings that we can attach our thoughts to words and help us make meaning out of life and out of the universe that we're here in. Thank you for this marvelous capability. And Father, we're now asking you as your people that you would do that deep heart therapy on us that will result in changing the way we talk to one another and the way we talk with friends and the way we talk with strangers and the way we talk in our world. Lord, we pray that... uh, that the Spirit of God will so fill us, so teach us, so instruct us, so guide us day by day, so fill us with His Word that we learn to speak, exa- that we learn to speak how the Creator speaks. And Father, we're going to trust You for this and commit ourselves to, to the training, to the school. And now be with us in these closing moments of the service, Lord, and may Your Spirit just speak to us as we reflect and and meditate upon these things. And we give you praise for it in Jesus' wonderful name. Amen. Amen.